For sports content from the biggest leagues and competitions across the world, look no further than Reuters Connect, Reuters online news content platform. Reuters Connect makes finding the sports content you need easy, whether it's in-depth reporting from Reuters journalists or access to video highlights from around the world. Bring the world of sport directly to your workplace with Reuters Connect. For more information and a free trial, visit ReutersConnect.com. Welcome to Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. Each week, we bring you insights from the playmakers, dealmakers, and rulemakers in the world of sports. I'll give you my take on some of the items of the week using my 30 years of experience doing deals for teams, leagues, and players. Plus, we'll talk with a central figure in the sports world. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the views of Reuters. Let's get started. Sports professor Rick Harrow. Inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports, and you and I are keeping score together in an incredibly turbulent time that looks like it has no end. We'll do the best to keep you posted with our Tech Minute, our Power Entrepreneurial Minute, our new Enid Viana's Lifestyle Minute, and our deal-making issues 3 to 1. And special guest of this week, Butch Buckholz, a tennis Hall of Famer and a chairman of a major golf tournament, basically at the same time, has some perspective on both sports. But let's look at our deal issues, three to one. Three. The Epic Games unveiled a $1.78 billion funding round that includes a stake in Sony. Variety says the wildly popular online interactive video game Fortnite maker Epic says it unveiled that nearly $2 billion round of funding, which the company says gives a post-money equity valuation of about $17 billion. The round includes a previously announced $250 million from Sony. Additional investors, BlackRock, Fidelity Management Research, Lightspeed Venture, Ontario Teachers Pension Fund, NFL Panthers owner David Tepper. KKR and Smash Ventures are also participating in the round. They participated before. Save the World and Creative Versions have been successful for Epic Games. Fortnite Battle Royale became a resounding success, attracting over 125 million players in less than a year. Hundreds of millions of dollars per month becoming a cultural phenomenon and obviously giving rise to raising significant dollars and more on the way. That's number three. Two. Fanatics joins other major retailers in pulling Redskins merchandise. They pulled all of the Redskins branded merchandise from two of the NFL's e-commerce sites it administers, NFLshop.com and WashingtonFootball.com. The sites are now offering Washington football team products, but delayed availability is cautioned clearly. Burgundy and Gold Colors, offering more than 2,600 items under the former name, Nike's, Dick Sporting Goods, Target, Amazon, Walmart, ceased to sell that stuff. And as of 2017, the NFL had a 3% equity investment in Fanatics. Obviously, Fanatics continues to attempt to do the right thing, and that's number two. One. Finally, deal-making number one. BMP Paribas Open moves its merchandise game online. The event held every March at Indian Wells, the Coachella Valley, considered tennis paradise by players and fans alike. The 2020 tournament canceled a mere days before it started due to COVID. Looks what's happened in the world since. Tennis fans looking for a way to experience a slice of the award-winning tournament at home can now check out the all-new Tennis Paradise online shop, offering a comprehensive range of official tournament merchandise, including apparel, accessories, headwear, youth, and more. But more important than that, not just somebody selling merchandise, is the fact that companies that represent teams and events are moving a lot of their revenue generation to online 
and we'll see if it all works out. So obviously tennis is a big business, a perfect segue to a really good friend that I spent a good deal of the weekend with catching up. But he can tell us a number of different things beyond just catching up on how he beat me in golf, which he does consistently and even more than that. Butch Buckholz was number five in the world in the 60s, inducted in 2005 in the Tennis Hall of Fame. He reached the quarters at the Australian and Wimbledon as singles in the semis of the U.S. Open. He was a key member of the WCT group that Lamar Hunt formed in late 60s and took a courageous stand to let professionals get into the U.S. Open. He'll tell the story in the late 60s. WTT commissioner in 77, uh, throughout ATP, then in 81. In 85, I got to know him. He founded the Lipton Tournament, which has now become the Miami Open, probably the second biggest tournament in North America, first time the men and women have played together. So he has a lot to tell us. But also, he was the chairman of the Doral event for a number of years, the WGC event, before that event basically moved to Mexico. So a perspective of a big-time tennis executive and player, a big-time golfer and player and executive, Butch Buckholz, I honor to be call him, call him a good friend. He's got a lot to tell us about the business today, where it's gone, and where it's going. Obviously, your, your on-court accolades are significant, and my sense is your off-court off uh, accomplishments even more. Spend a minute, the on-court stuff. I looked it up. You didn't know, but you were fifth in the world at one time. The rankings spoke for themselves. Semifinalist at the U.S. Open, a series of victories in a whole bunch of major tournaments. So uh, what was it like growing up as a tennis leader, let's say, in the 50s and 60s, compared to today? They're better athletes, maybe. The equipment's better, but compare and contrast. Oh, I, I think, um, you know, it's almost like one corporation playing against another now. Um, but uh, for looking back, uh, I'm very proud of, the, of my group in the 60s who all turned pro, uh, were banned, weren't allowed to play in the major events. And we turned pro because we believe that, that the future of tennis was in, in professional tennis. And it turns out we were correct because you see what, what's happened. Um, the game has changed. Uh, you know, the equipment's changed. You know, the players, you walk into the men's locker room now, and it looks like you're, you're walking in to see a basketball team. All the kids are so big. Um, you know, people ask, you know, who's the best player in the world? I, I don't think you can compare it. Um, you look at Labor, he's the only person to ever win two Grand Slams. But you got to look at you know, what Roger's done and what, what Nadell's done. Um, it's just it's just different eras, and and um, um, but I'm very pleased to see where the game has gone, and when you see what the four Grand Slams have done, and the facilities that they've built, the money that the players play for, um, we were right back in the '60s. Yeah, you were, and you had a hand in in helping, not just talking, but helping. I mean, with the ATP and and the Barnstormers and all of the things that uh, celebrate you and a core of supporters who played with you and believed in what you did as well. It was a pivotal moment in tennis. What's the next big challenge facing tennis? Well, I I, um, think just being able to grow the facilities. um, One of the things that we all tried to do, or the ATP tried to do, you know, in, in the late 80s is to build permanent facilities. And as our crowds have gotten bigger um, 
and the fact that we have so many master series that are men and women together, um, I think the the facility area is is an area that that, that we're going to need some investment in. Television as well. I assume uh, one of the big issues with television is you can't guarantee when a match will end, even though you can guarantee when it starts. Although the tennis channel has become significant and people are getting around it as well. Uh, Olympics, tennis, big growth areas in the future? I think so. I think, you know, um, if it's an Olympic sport, then the, then the country will invest in it. And I think that's a big plus for golf. Because you're now going to have golfers coming from all parts of the world, uh, and I think they've learned from tennis. Because at one time, tennis was basically Australia and United States. And today, it's, it's the whole world. And I think the Olympic uh, movement for tennis uh, helped create that. So that's the second question I've asked that we started with tennis and you segued into golf, which is an interesting thing because you're one of the few people uh, who have actually transcended, not just because you're a fan, but you had an active role in the business. You ran the Doral event, uh, ran it, really ran it uh, until it basically stopped and uh, is no longer now. And now you have some efforts, which we don't have to talk about, but we try to get some things back that are key in golf. Um, Give me the snapshot of that and where you think the golf business is today. Well, I think it's growing, and again, because of the Olympic um, uh, uh, play, will create more golf courses in in all over the world, which weren't there before. But again, countries will invest in in an Olympic sport. I would like to see us at some point do something that tennis has done, is have a combined men's and women's golf event. In other words, exactly like tennis, where... uh, the women are, are playing for equal prize money, and um, it's not men against women. It's a women's event and a men's event at the same location. I think that would be something that's good for golf. It would help grow the game. Um, I'm not saying that should the tour should get like that, but they should maybe have one event like that. Um, again, I, I think the, uh, the television um, that golf uh, puts on now is, again, worldwide. That's a big plus, and it, it's a you know it's a challenging sport. Long overdue. Uh, tune in here. You might have heard the genesis of a major event in the not too distant future. Let's finally talk about life and sports. Pandemic. Uh, if you would have predicted in January that we are where we are, everybody thought you'd have been crazy, and you're hold up safe, responsible staying away from knuckleheads, the same way I am. But sometimes you just can't predict the future, and it's killing us in sports. Uh, give me your general overview, then we'll get into a couple of specifics, about the pandemic in sports, your sports fan, how it affects all the sports, not just tennis and golf. Well, I think there's still a question whether we're going to have college football, we're going to have uh, NFL, um, the NBA is starting to play. But it's, it's obviously changing the economics and what this does to, to the owners, what this does to you know, uh, the people that ha- own the facilities. Um, I don't think we know yet. I don't think we know how, how deep this is. We keep talking about we don't know enough about the virus. My instincts are that because we've had this second spike that we need to seriously look at this and say maybe we need to shut everything down and get well first. Um, I, you know, and that's a balance between the economy and and uh, and 
you know, saving people's lives. But I think that's that should be the number one priority. I'm just kind of hoping, because you had some sage medical advice, that, God forbid, you were ever asked to throw out a first ball, you'd do it better than Dr. Fauci. <laughs> what do you think? Well, I would <laughs> maybe ask him if I could use a tennis racket. <laughs> yeah, I think that'd be probably better. Finally, all of your accomplishments and their legion, the induction of the Hall of Fame in 2005 and the ATP presidency that you dealt with, bringing a tennis tournament to Miami, saving a golf tournament in Miami for as long as you possibly could, uh, the Hartford, the Pilot Pen, all of I, mean, I can't even begin to do it. Uh, can you tell me, you probably can't, but give me your most satisfying business moment. Well, I think the fact that we created the the, the first men's combined event and, uh, and Lipton was our sponsor at the time. And um, at the time, everybody sort of felt, hey, this is a mistake. Uh, a lot of my friends were saying, you know, we should have one-week women, one-week men. I said, no, no, don't do that. Um, it got political. and um, But today, we've got most of the Master Series are combined events. So I'm, I'm, I'm proud that we led that. Um, I think we also changed the way tennis tournaments were put on. We, we made it, uh, I used to tell our people, we're, we're, we're going to have 300,000 people to our wedding. And we want everybody to have a good time. We want to make sure they have good food, that they, you know, they get a gift, which we want them to buy in the, in the retail yeah. shops. <laughs> you, know, you call that a gift, right? <laughs> yeah. But... Um, and I, you know, the you know the fact that that I was part of the the group that helped force open tennis. I think uh, I remember when I turned pro. Um, press asked me, "Why'd you do that?" And I said, "Well, because I believe the future of of tennis is in the pro game." Well, my quote was that amateur tennis had no future, which I didn't say. But when you go back and look at, at Wimbledon, for example, they're the ones that made everything. Um, possible uh, for open tennis because we played an event in uh, at Wimbledon in 1967 in August was not part of the regular event and the chairman there a guy by the name of Herman David said if you fill this stadium that tells me that the British public still want to see you guys play well it was a huge success I remember coming in the locker room said you guys are all invited to play here in 1960 next year 1968 major major change for tennis and and Wimbledon you know was uh, the catalyst to make that happen all right see what I tell you Butch has a lot more than just taking my money on the golf course he is sneaky nice when he gets on the golf course forget it even at his age which is something that I took a shot at and he'll I'm sure get back at me at but he has a lot of perspectives on a lot of different things welcome into the esports minute of keeping score with Rick Coro. I'm at dreams from the esports network in a shocking sign of the times, MLB Deputy Commissioner Tony Petiti has left his role with the MLB to become President of Sports and Entertainment with Activision Blizzard, a leading esports operator. Petiti was by all accounts part of MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred's inner circle and played a key role in running North America's oldest sports league. Now he's moving to esports. It's a situation that would have felt wholly unbelievable even a few years ago. The MLB has its share of issues as outbreaks of coronavirus have seen over 30 games be canceled around the league. My St. Louis Cardinals played exactly five games in total so far. Compound that with declining viewership among younger generations and the Astros cheating scandal, and the MLB is certainly dealing with a lot. But Activision Blizzard isn't exactly sailing on clean seas here. 
Even though esports were able to continue on during the coronavirus, Activision Blizzard's plan for esports in 2020 was to bring them into a classic home and away format similar to traditional sports. Both the Overwatch League and Call of Duty Leagues were intended to travel across North America for the latter and the world for the former. That didn't come to pass, obviously. Even prior to the virus, there were concerns about the abilities for teams to sell out stadiums, as multiple events had open tickets, despite being played in much smaller arenas than traditional sports fans are used to. In addition, the Overwatch League has seen a bunch of players retire, including the 2019 OWL MVP. They're retiring to play Valorant, a game from Activision Blizzard's main competitor, Riot Games. Still, unlike the MLB, Activision Blizzard has more revenue streams coming from the games themselves, which aren't reliant on live events. Esports is just a very small subsection of their actual revenue. Here's an example. Call of Duty and Overwatch's media rights were sold to YouTube for a three-year deal valued at about $150 million. For comparison, Activision Blizzard brought in an insane $1.9 billion in revenue for quarter two of 2020. It's hard to pinpoint Petiti's exact reasons for the switch, but it's definitely a sign of where sports and entertainment are headed. That's all for the Esports Minute of Keeping Score. Now back to Ricora. Sports Tech Minute. Streaming up in a big way. We've heard that before, but look at the most recent numbers among the most recent media and tech companies reporting quarterly earnings. Viacom, CBS, domestic streaming and video revenue up about 25% to $489 million in the second quarter. U.S. pay streaming subscribers hitting $16.2 million, up 74%, says the company. Total ad revenue fell 27% versus the second quarter, uh, same time last year due to the health crisis. And despite the impact of COVID-19 on the revenue, we're successfully managing through the effects of the pandemic, reaffirming the strength of our combined operations, said Bob Backage, the CEO. Our results underscored our strong progress, delivering our value creation initiatives, streaming business, etc. But the next big hurdle for media companies is inventory. Most had ample programming in the can to span the spring and early summer, but virtually all fall programming will be delayed due to production coming to a near standstill. We've said that before, but how it impacts the business, we'll just have to see. How about your power of sports minute? We've talked about a lot of these issues before and really, really significant, for example, and we'll have to see how a lot of this shakes out and, again, tributes to a number of people during the COVID time. Baron Davis, uh, his company You Wish and Mimo Studio partnered with Mimo Sports. The new company launched dedicated to creating sports-themed content for kids and families while inspiring positive social values. World would-be media moguls like LeBron James have also launched children's programming good for Baron Davis. The NBA Board of Governors, $300 million in initial funding, to establish the first ever NBA foundation dedicated to creating greater economic empowerment in the black community. The NFL announced the launch of NFL Votes, a large league-wide nonpartisan initiative that will support and encourage the civic engagement and voting of NFL active and former players, club and league personnel, and NFL fans from now until Election Day, long overdue. University of Maryland head coach Michael Loxley, one of 14 black head coaches in the 130-team FBS, found that a nonprofit organization that aims to help minority football coaches advance and develop at all levels. He formed the nonprofit after a longtime disappointment and frustration at the slow pace of minority hiring in college and pro football, and the Toronto Raptors honor the impact of their first of the first black general manager, Wayne Embry, 
he obviously was involved and has become very important in the lore of the NBA, the first of many planned by Raptors for different icons this year. And also very important, that's your power of sports philanthropic minute. Obviously, more to come. Our special new edition, Lifestyle Minute, hosted by expert in lifestyle and wellness, Enid Vienna. She's also the editor of two websites, theevsocial.com, which covers entertainment, wellness, fashion, and travel, and hamptonsmoms.com, which addresses all things family on Long Island's magical East End. She contributes content to various magazines and websites, such as Hamptons Magazine and ArtSugar.com, and Insta at theevsocial and Hamptons Mom, obviously. And here's what she says this week. With live sports throughout the pandemic being compromised, if happening at all, we can't help but to wonder, are the younger demographics even interested in sports anymore? According to Wave TV, a next-gen media company that produces sports programming for millennial and Gen Z fans across social and digital platforms, think it's Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, Facebook, YouTube, for example, the number of sports fans is not going down. The younger demographics just getting their sports programming on digital and social platforms instead of on linear TV. Well, we knew that, but now it's being emphasized numerically. For generations, sports fans have grown accustomed to linear television serving as their first screen. But that's simply no longer the case, at least for those under 20. But just because the generation coming of age now is behaving a little differently than those who came before doesn't mean they don't love sports. The same sensibilities and motivations that drove fandom in previous generations still exist within younger millennials and Gen Z. Social and digital technologies have made it easier for younger sports fans to follow their passions. There used to be four channels that decided what you were going to watch and the sports you'd become a fan of, and obviously it's simply no longer the case today. Advancements in technology have changed that dynamic, and fans today have access to all sorts of sports programming. And as a result, fandom within the millennial and Gen Z demographic widely spread across many sports. Football, soccer, baseball, and hockey, the usual suspects, including basketball as well, as well as those who follow fitness as weightlifting, women's sports, gaming and esports, adaptive sports, gymnastics, and even cheerleading. It's extremely likely that this generation's ability to closely follow niche sports contributes to the perception there aren't as many younger fans passionate about the Big Four on a relative basis. Well, live rights used to be how the majority of media revenue was generated by the Big Four leagues, yet now there's an immense amount of value for leagues and right holders and highlights. Look no further than the reported nine-figure deal the International Cricket Council signed with Facebook back in September 2019. These clips are an important asset for leagues to reach fans, engage fans, and grow their fandom. Instagram has officially launched the United States version of Reels, a new format within the app that allows and enables users to create and post short-form edited videos with audio and music. As Facebook's answer to TikTok, Reels is similar to the ByteDance-owned app that allows users to create and share 15-second videos backed by music. Instagram's already worked with domestic sports partners like the Big Four Leagues, Julian Edelman, and numerous NBA and NFL teams on how to use Reels. The sports industry sees this as a unique, creative way to engage their fans and their prospective fans, especially the younger demographic. Branded content and partnerships will clearly be the long-term goal, 
but reels with reels, but the current world climate says the immediate goal is to engage and connect with the sports audience, obviously. With TikTok potentially facing a White House ban, it's up to reels and other competitors to differentiate themselves from the pack. Future integrations between short-form video, augmented reality, and Instagram shopping functionality will pave the way for the new formats in which the sports players will engage with their fans and ultimately sell to their fans. Will short video format be the critical link to the sports world and what it needs to keep players united to their fans throughout the pandemic and beyond? Well, it just might be what the future of sports needs to be able to harness and the power of sports to deliver that magic back to its fans. And who knows? Reels could just be the pivot the fans and teams are yearning for to keep sports fans engaged and boost morale during an unprecedented time. And that's Lifestyle. Enid Viana will be back regularly to give us more perspective. We'd like to thank Enid. We'd like to thank Butch Buckholz. We'd like to thank everybody involved in this edition of Keeping Score. More next week. You and I get together as we continue to keep score. Action Images is the global multimedia sports agency of Reuters. Leagues, teams, and federations around the world rely on Action Images to create, distribute, and monetize their content. Action Images' global footprint means sports media expertise is never far away. For more information, visit actionimages.com.